Hello, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 23, which is titled Love Among the Ruins. The episode aired on May 4th, 1995. Lauren, what was going on this week, 25 years ago? Well, it's Mike Durnt's 33rd birthday on this day, which is very exciting. My favorite bassist from Green Day. Happy birthday, Mike Durnt. <laughs> Along with that, the parent company of A&S Department Stores rebranded the remaining 15 locations into Macy's Stores, retiring the Abraham and Strauss brand name after 130 years of use. And along with that, While You Were Sleeping holds on to the number one spot at the box office for the second week in a row, and This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan continues its run atop the music charts. I was going to say, notably, While You Were Sleeping, uh, beating out Friday, which debuted this week. Hmm. What's Friday? Uh, the Ice Cube? Yeah, Ice Cube and... Uh... Uh, Tiny Lister that we had from a couple episodes back. Um, And Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker, yep. Okay. All right. Uh, This week's episode, we've got 31.5 million viewers, uh, down just a little bit from last week, but we're kind of going to be in this this general area for the remainder of the season, 31 to 32 uh, million viewers each episode. No big deal. This episode is directed by Fred Gerber, who also directed uh, House of Cards that we had a few episodes back. Uh, And this one was written by Paul Manning, who has uh, written Sleepless in Chicago, Luck of the Draw, Blizzard, ER Confidential, and Hit and Run. So he has been all over season one. So some of our favorites, too, I'm noticing. Yeah, these are a couple of heavy hitters in charge of this one, which kind of, I think, tracks we'll see by the time we get to the end of this episode. I think this is a... this is a good one, I think. It's it's not, like, conventionally good, like, where you think, like, of an all-time great episode, but it's just solid. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. But we will get there. God, I'm sorry. I'm just... The opening of this episode makes me so hesitant to start. We <laughs> opened with what I can only describe as a, vo- a vocal yikes from me. The episode opens with Mark sitting shirtless in his boxers in the dark, staring off into the distance. And who boy, Anthony Edwards shirtless looks exactly how you think Anthony Edwards shirtless would look. <laughs> but I actually yelled yikes the moment this opened because he just has this dead eyed stare and we don't know what he's looking at. I thought he was at his apartment, but then no, we pan out and he's watching Jen sleep. Oh what? Boy. Oh boy. Um, and do the creep. Ah, <sighs> and do the creep. Ah, <sighs> and for, for our patrons... Our notes get infinitely better with my commentary as I'm watching this unfold. Um, And I noticed in this shot, there are a lot of browns. His boxers, the blanket on the chair, the curtains, and the potted plant behind him. It's all just a very muted, creepy, just blech tone. And then Jen wakes up and doesn't scream at seeing Mark standing next to her window, shirtless, in his boxers. And she just goes, what you doing? Mark goes, I'm thinking. And then he proceeds to tell some sappy reminiscence about the summer after Rachel was born and all of them sleeping in a hammock together and wasn't that so nice. And then he leans over and drops an I love you and kisses her. Um, Stop trying, Mark. Please just stop. Stop trying to make fetch happen. And then, um... 
And then he goes, we've been sharing the same bed for a week. Like, why can't I get any? (laughs) And she's like, I'm just not ready yet. And this is context that would have been great two minutes ago at the opening of this episode if they could have just done a Star Wars crawl. Oh, my God. Dear viewers, Mark and Jen have been staying together, and it's okay. What (laughs) you are about to see is not potential murder. That would have been great. The dead marriage speaks. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's what the episode of this title should have been. (sighs) So, yeah, this whole thing just had me getting goosebumps and just so much nope. From start to finish. I know. Like, we left off in last week's episode with he's going to be sleeping on the couch reluctantly. Like, from Jennifer's perspective, like, she is reluctantly allowing him to sleep on the couch while he searches for a place of his own, ostensibly. And she then is seen crying as he goes into the next room to, like, read Rachel a story. And then we hard pivot the next week's episode with this, like what (laughs) she just can't resist that mousy mousy dad bod oof yeah yikes yeah yikes it's just it's a look it's exactly what you'd expect exactly i guess and speaking of things you expect uh jerry walks into the er reciting shakespeare at lydia so and we have the audio for that because of course we have to listen to it (laughs) so ah what a glorious morn Night's candles have burnt out, and Jockin' Day stands tiptoe on the misty mountaintops. Joined a Shakespearean theater group. I'm gonna play Romeo. Comic version? No. Oh. Hmm. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks. It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, who is already sick and pale with jealousy. Well, sick and pale is right. Ah, nuts to you. Oh, Jerry, I love you so much. I want an entire spinoff of just him doing Shakespeare. <laughs> Hashtag Team Jerry. Uh, and uh, Lydia is so good. Too. Lydia and Jerry makes for a very good team. I, I, I enjoy Lydia as the straight man quite a bit. Okay, God, speaking of yikes, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> so we then get, well, we don't know that it's Swift right away, but we get Swift uh, screaming at Jerry in a mask, like a tribal mask that he brought back from New Guinea. And he rips it off and uh, asks Jerry excitedly uh, if he wants to come help him wake up a room full of drunks still sleeping from night shift all while prominently displaying a Dunkin' Donuts bag directly in front of camera. They have to have, th- this has to have been a sponsorship thing. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's th- th- that, that was just too perfect. And, you know, compared or uh, combined with the uh, earlier appearance we had of Dunkin' Donuts early on in the season. But um, yeah. Wow. Less of this, please. Oh, but there will be more of it or just at least a little bit more, at least this episode. Yeah. But just in general, like, let's just, can we just not and say we did you know that would that would be preferable or not and say we didn't even yeah you know i mean number one kind of weird cultural thing there that's just kind of icky and then secondly like why do we feel the need to traumatize a room full of alcoholics like does that seem like a nice thing to do i just you know what the, the whole do no harm thing 
but that's because homeless me. trunks aren't people, right? right. They don't count. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. It's 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 just like the um, the Latin American drug smuggler. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't I... matter. They're criminals. <laughs> exactly. Uh, whatever. Uh, so Jerry, being the sweet, precious baby that he is, he politely declines. But who oh boy, we get a lot of interesting Swift this episode for sure. He's on uh, like Michael Ironside has, I think, settled in. Like, I think he's no longer feels like the new guy. And now he feels like he's uh, and I'm speaking as the actor here, not the uh, not the character. Like, I think that the, I think Michael Ironside feels comfortable to, like, let the tiger out of the cage a little bit in this episode <laughs> and just like be extra fucking crazy. Because, yeah, it's he's I'm here on, for it. He's on 11 in this one. Also, is it just me, or does he not wear scrubs, like, or or anything this episode? Like, we maybe see him in the white coat once. Yeah. he's mostly walking around in his khakis. Yeah, he's very casual. And a very loud shirt. <laughs> we didn't check the belt status, Daniel. I did not. I didn't, didn't see anything. I haven't seen anything truly offensive in quite a while. I know. What happened to Belt Watch 2020? I mean, I've been watching. I just haven't seen any. But I haven't seen any offenders. I think we we turned the calendar over to 1995, and people understood the importance of a belt. Yeah. Now you just have to deal with offensive suspenders. <laughs> anyway. So we go on to Susan's first patient. This is a taxi driver who got robbed, and as as we're helping stitch him up and everything, he goes, "Well, at least they didn't get my book." And then he proudly points to two huge binders, and we find out he runs a dating service from his cab. You pay ten dollars, you get your picture and a page in the book, and that's how that's how he pimps you out. And as they're looking through it, um, he points out, he goes, "Oh, this guy's this guy's a doctor," you know, showing all the people who got married. He's like, "This is a doctor. He, he, he found he found her, and they're very happy together." And it's a picture of Doctor Dickhead with his new wife, Yikes. who works. In a mortuary. <laughs> that that tracks. They look like a new version of American Gothic. <laughs> <That was laughs> oh, oh God! You're not wrong. Yeah, I was not expecting that to be our final. Because I'm pretty sure this is our final, final mention of Div. Like, I don't think I don't think he I comes can't up imagine even verbally. There's anything else to yeah we, say about it? We quite literally closed the book on Div huh. here. And, uh, and yeah, Susan books it out of the room. No pun intended. Books <laughs> it out of the room, and the guys like, "What? What's wrong?" And I think it's Malik who's like ex-boyfriend. Yeah. So your taxi driver here is played by a guy named Ilya Volok, uh, who I'm assuming is an actual full-fledged Russian guy because he has made quite the career for himself playing Russian henchmen in various movies. Uh, he has made appearances in uh, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, Air Force One, and Indiana Jones 4. The one I've never seen and never intend to. You're not missing Shia much. LaBeouf puts on a decent performance. Yeah. I said decent. <laughs> um, but after that, we have Swift actually scaring off the drunks and then also talking with Carter about some what he's about his plans for next year. So let's listen to that. Right up his aftercare, call the pharmacy yeah. with med rules. Keep moving. Hey, you, you. Huh? Did you get a donor? Uh -oh. See you next time. Simple pleasures. By the way, I got your application for the ER sub internship. 
with recommendations from Lewis and Green. But I didn't get one from you. I wasn't aware Mr. Carter had applied for an ER sub-internship. <clears throat> yeah, uh, it's just sort of a backup. So we're not your first choice? No, no, no. Uh, <clears throat> I just haven't made up my mind yet between ER and surgery. So whatever. I need your evaluation of Mr. Carter as soon as you can. Can I start with how much I love this? So whatever. Just get it. <laughs> right. Yeah. He immediately is like, first he's very interested. And then at the, f it's it's like one of those things where you ask a coworker or like a casual friend a question. And then you realize that this story or the backstory is going to be more involved than the initial thing you asked for. And you're just like, I immediately regret asking. That. I don't care. Like <laughs> that's what Swift <laughs> finds himself in. Yeah. I, there's so much to unpack in, in this fucking 30 seconds like Benton looks so wounded at first and then on top of that you've got oogity boogity Dr. <laughs> Swift who looks like a Scooby-Doo villain um, and I almost just want to see all the outtakes that they didn't use of Michael Ironside just running down the hall shrieking because mm. if not for the context of him yelling at drunk homeless people it would be really funny and yeah, it, it still makes me chuckle, but but at least he gave the guy a Dunkin' Donuts TM donut <laughs> for the road. I, oh, I, I will I, say I, I do now. appreciate that little bit of context, or not not context, but just that little touch. Like I do appreciate that he like makes sure that the last homeless guy gets a donut before he leaves. Like I'm gonna torture you for my own enjoyment, but I am gonna make sure that you get fed before you leave. Yeah, it's it's great. But how do we feel about? What Carter, the game Carter's playing. Because I don't know if we've really talked about this much, about I his strategy. I don't know if it's a game, Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily a game either. Okay. I just think it's a, he's an indecisive little turd. Like a... I, I was trying to give him some credit with the <laughs> phrasing I used. But yes, with the situation Carter has found himself in. Okay. I think it's, I think it's somewhere between he is at a legitimate crossroads where he does not actually know if he's cut out for surgery or if he's more, he's better suited for life in the ER. And I think it's, I think it's that. And I think it's also um, a little bit of the, you know, he both craves Benton's approval and also is sort of afraid of Benton and is sort of like giving up on him a little bit as a mentor. And so it's like, He's hit, he's playing both sides of the fence. You know, he's like, I really, really want this guy's approval and maybe simultaneously I can get it organically or I can like, I can play hard to get and make him give me what I want by making him think I'll go somewhere else, you know, but I also do think there's a little bit of legitimate conflict within him where he's like, do I really want to be a surgeon? Can I really do this? Well, yeah, it doesn't even seem like he's hardly gotten a chance to do it. Right. Like, we haven't seen him in an OR since... Since he got the circle drawn around his feet. Right. I mean, I'm sure he's been in the operating room more since then, but, like, it hasn't really been highlighted. Right, exactly. Then we have the intro, and then after the intro... Oh, excuse me. We come in with some more bangs. So we're, <laughs> we're still keeping track of that-ish. You know, we just want y'all to know. Yeah. But then we come out of the intro with, uh... Doug and Mark talking about Doug's new responsibility. Hey, buddy. You just get here? Come on, 8 to 8. 6 to 3. Nine hours. And I'm assistant coach in Jake's baseball game. Take him off early. Baseball? It's a big step in any relationship. Yeah, I hope nobody asked me to explain the infield fly roll. So how goes Milwaukee? Yeah, commute's not bad. 
But emotionally, I don't know. Hey, don't say that. You're my domestic role model. Big Kahuna say anything about the attending gig? No, and I'm not holding my breath. Gentlemen, good timing. Hidden three, bumped his head. Thank you. What do we have for Dr. Green? You don't have to run the board. I'm happy to do it. Thanks. I'd just as soon have it. Nobody's taking the knee like in five. What the heck? Why don't I take it? Doug, you uh, need to get yourself a new role model there, buddy. Also, like, commuting from Milwaukee, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care how desperate you are to save your broken marriage. Like, dude, with traffic, that's every bit of, I'm thinking at least two and a half hours, if not three. Into downtown. Yeah, like, what are you doing? Just, what are you doing to yourself? Like, if you want to think of it as, like, Evanston or, like, the northwest side, but you're going into the core of downtown Chicago hmm. or the near south side or wherever the heck they decide that the hospital is this week. Yeah, like we mentioned last week's episode, like, Jen and I stayed at the uh, the naval base that's up on Lake Michigan, and that was every bit of an hour and a half in traffic to get down to... Uh, to downtown and that's nowhere near milwaukee like so you're gonna have to tack on at least another hour if not an hour and a half like just don't do that to yourself mark it's not worth it i promise it's not worth it well at least we know it's not gonna last too long mark sass i'm sorry but dude act like a fucking grown-up well, we will have a uh, little audio for you later with Swift confronting Mark about his attitude problem. Uh, but for now, Carter, we have Carter talking with Ben about the previously mentioned sub-I. Uh, and, you know, Ben's like, there's no guarantees in life that, you know, with regarding to getting the surgical internship versus the ER one. So Benton asks Carter to write something up for himself instead of, and Benton will just sign it. So instead of Benton actually, you know, saying potentially kind words about... Being a mentor. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But then Halle just comes out of nowhere and just uh, just freely opens uh, offers up the information that Benton's uh, student loan provider has called and that he's three months behind on his loan payment. So I'm sure he was... He looks super thrilled that everyone knows about that now. Hmm. Isn't this too where they go? They start comparing notes about how much money they owe on their. Oh no, that's later. That's oh, okay, a later, that's a little yeah. bit later. Okay, so Susan, we we jump over to check in on Susan, who is talking with Chloe about she has an OB appointment. She's finally going to see a doctor about this baby. Thank God. <laughs> so she's her appointment is at eight thirty, and uh, she says to Susan, "Great, I get to sit around for two and a half hours, meaning that it's six a.m., which." Um, Chloe looks real good for 6 a.m., like real put together, much more so than I would expect her to be. Uh, but then again, it's entirely possible that she's just been awake this whole time and hasn't actually gone to sleep yet. So maybe that's what it is. Uh, but uh, Susan tells her once she finishes with her appointment, she needs to go to the main floor and visit with social services so she can get set up with WIC, with food stamps and welfare stuff, essentially. Like, just get, get set up so that she can kind of be a little bit self-sufficient and not have to rely on Susan for every last little thing. And then almost immediately after that, we get her shaking down Susan for not only bus fare, but also lunch money. And she promises on the way out that she'll cook Susan dinner tonight. Uh, and then Susan frantically, as the elevator doors are closing, is like, no, 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 please don't do that. Like, I wouldn't trust her with a stove either. So I get that. Now, now here's the thing. Why does Chloe need lunch money? 
Oh, because uh, that's right. Because Susan made her an egg salad sandwich, and first it's that she forgot it at home, and then it is that she doesn't like egg salad. Best sister ever. She really is like so very childlike. Like she is so much like a elementary school aged kid. Like just that sort of like helplessness through avoidance like oh i forgot my lunch at home i I need money well actually i just don't actually like it but i didn't want to tell you that like i don't know she's just she's such a mess and then after that we go carter's now working with mr taxi guy and taxi guy is just set on setting carter up with some in one of his books like he's turning on the full matchmaker experience for (laughs) for john and you know, he's just sewing the guy, uh, sewing the guy's head head up, and you know, making just making like conversations. And then a taxi guy, just after they're talking about it, just goes, "So, John, tell me your turn-ons." <laughs> oh boy! And then from there, we cut over to Carol and Tag. We overhear them discussing wedding stuff, and we just get the vibe that Carol is so burned out. Like she's like, "I have to do this. I haven't been sleeping. Blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's a mess. Like the wedding's like what two weeks away." Yes. Yep. Which tracks? They say it's May 18th and the episode aired May 4th. Still hanging on to that timeline for dear life. Just want to point that out. Um, But she's just overwhelmed. And they walk into a super full elevator and Diane Leeds is in there. And she and Tag give, you know, big hugs. And, like, they're clearly very familiar with each other. I'm wondering if they dated a while back. That's, That's my thought. But... Diane says, oh, I've heard a lot about you. And Carol goes, oh, from Doug? And Tag looks at her and is like, <laughs> what? And Diane's like, no, from from John. And Uh-oh. Tag didn't know Tag didn't know Diane and Doug were dating. Just everybody's so awkward and uncomfortable, this whole thing. And they get out of the elevator and Diane's like, oh, when's the, you know, when's the big day? And Carol goes, oh, it's May 18th at, I think, St. Luke's. You know, you should come. And Diane's like, okay, bye. Oh, Hugs Tag again and leaves. And then Tag goes, why the fuck did you do that? Now Doug's going to come. And Carol's like, I don't know. It just slipped out. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> me, th- uh, me thinks it didn't just slip out. Freudian, Freudian slip, perhaps. All right. So we pivot over from that. We're into our first big trauma of the episode. We've got a uh, motor vehicle impact with a tree. Uh, with borderline for brain damage. This guy is in a real bad way. Um, And we're going to be sticking with this one for a big chunk of the episode. I don't know if it's quite the whole episode, but certainly for a big chunk of it. So we'll check back back in on this in just a minute. But it appears Diane has found Doug and sneaks up on him to give him a giant big hug. Aw, how sweet. You know, she says that Jake is absolutely thrilled that Doug is going to be coaching the game and, you know, they kind of start making out in the hallway, which is kind of weird, but a little bit right right in front of the trauma room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they sneak off to the side a little bit to get a little, to get a little hot and heavy. And then Carol just walks by and is like, Oh, okay. Just doesn't, they don't see her at all. And she just kind of, kind of does a little bit of a grandpa Simpson, like kind of just like strolls in and then immediately he's like, Oh, Kind of keep going. Yeah. So as I mentioned, we're going back into that first trauma, the uh, car versus tree guy. Um, we find out through them searching his 
searching his uh, belongings, they find his wallet with his ID in it. We find out his name is Donald Costanza, um, hopefully not related to George. There is a note in his wallet. Sounds like it was a potential suicide attempt. Uh, Swift kind of shoves in and insists on an intubation, uh, whereas Mark doesn't really agree. Mark wants to get a clear CT scan before they go um, trying to attempt an intubation. Swift's not not here listening for it, and uh, so he just kind of dives in and starts working on the intubation, which pisses Mark right the fuck off, and he leaves. Uh, the CT eventually shows a small subdural bleed, and the guy is uh, unconscious for the time being. Time will tell what his ultimate prognosis is going to be. Uh, and we discover that Amy, the girl from the letter, is on her way in. And everybody's just sort of like, what? Like, did you get a hold? How did you get a hold of her? Was her number in the letter? Like, how did how did she know? And they say she called us. So me thinks this maybe might not be the first time something like this has happened with uh, Donald. No, definitely not. Um, but then right after that, we have uh, Doug scolding Mark for walking out of the trauma. So let's listen in. Tell me that you didn't just get into a pissing match with Swift and walk out of a trauma. I did. So what do you want to do? You want to just throw the attending job out the window? It's already gone, Doug. No, I don't even really care. Are you kidding, Mark? You worked seven years for this job. If you lose it over this petty crap, buddy... You're a fool. When did Doug get to be the responsible one? Mm-hmm. Kind of a little bit of a soon weird as he started, yes, juxtaposition. As soon as he became a baseball coach. And <laughs> his hair is peak dreamboat, and I'm here for it. But yeah, that's just, that's some, that's some real weird shit coming from Doug telling Mark to just suck it up. Then we have a, go to yet another patient. Uh, we have a gentleman coming in just with a cut hand from slicing a bagel. So, which... Side note, I recently found out that people from Missouri apparently slice their bagels, like, into... Like, they don't slice it in half, lengthwise. They slice it, like, uh, like you would slice bread. Oh. Like, into yeah. two pieces or, like, multiple pieces? No, like, into, like, like a seven loaf. or eight pieces. Oh, no, that's... Yeah. that's um, no. What? There was, there was a huge thing on... Magic the Gathering Twitter about it uh, like last week or so, and that's that's serial killer that, behavior. Exactly that that was. The... How would you then like, cons- like, how do you put the toppings on it? It's I, an awful ratio. I guess you just do it like you would do like cheese and crackers or something. He like said that. he said this is specifically people from Cincinnati. No Missouri. Oh Missouri. Like the guy the guy the guy who started it was is. I um, see Missouri. Well, eh. yeah. As a guy, yeah, as a well-known magic guy in Missouri, that's that's kind Just, of known as being a little backwards. So I guess I could see. <laughs> Fuck the Cardinals. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, so hopefully he wasn't doing it like a serial killer. But um, Benton tries to, you know, he comes in, he sees Benton right away, asking for some help, and Benton tries immediately tries to pass him off to Carter because you know, at face value, he's just a simple. Stitch job, so of course Carter could handle it. You know, no big deal. Uh, but then Carter points out it is a gentleman by the name of Howard Davis, as in Davis, as in the Davis Cardiology Wing that's newly built and attached to the hospital now. And Mr. Davis immediately recognizes Carter because because apparently Carter went to school with his son. 
so he called he just yells out johnny carter and then which which attracts the attention of uh dr swift who immediately begins kissing ass and telling jerry to and takes a look at the guy's hand and media is like jerry get the head of hand surgery and radiology down here to take a look I want to, you know, want to make sure get top of the line care. And then he asks, "Are you hurt anywhere else?" And he's like, "No." And the guy's like, "No, but I have a bump in the corner of my eye." Jerry, get the head of ophthalmology down here, <laughs> stat. <laughs> and specifically passes the gentleman on to Benton, quote, a senior surgical resident, to irrigate and suture the wound. So, and Jerry's in the background, just throughout all of this, just being like, "Okay, guys, okay, whatever." And at the end, he just says, "Hope it wasn't the hand he writes his checks with." And uh, Mr. Davis here is played by Carmen Argenziano. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, he has uh, credits in such films as The Accused, Broken Arrow, and Blue Streak. Uh, and unfortunately, we lost him in 2019. So probably one of our more recent uh, losses of ER alumni. But um, I wanted to quick point out, like, this is the beginning of us learning the truth about Carmen. Mm-hmm. He's got friends in high places. Mm-hmm. And that's going to come into play real soon. Uh, so next we jump over and check in with uh, Doug, who's getting a new patient slash patients. He gets an emergency patient with a high fever. Um, she can barely walk. They suspect she may have bacterial meningitis. And it's a uh, he's Ugh. it's a whole basketball team from a uh, Catholic school, St. Josephine's. Uh, and I immediately noted uh, one of the coaches of the team is uh, a definite, oh, hey, it's that guy or gal in this case. Kind of two in this episode, but she's by far the most recognizable. Um, and it's Amy Ryan, who uh, you may know as Holly from The Office, uh, as well as appearances in uh, films such as Gone Baby Gone and Birdman. Never seen any of those. That's just crazy to me that, I mean, I get that, you know, The Office doesn't necessarily have to define your personality, but come on. And I've seen Birdman once and it was super fucking weird. Yeah, I did not, um, I did not get into the Birdman hype. Um, Like, I tried to watch it and it was like, yeah, kind of weird and kind of didn't really grab me. But it was the best movie ever for about three months, like three years ago, according to everyone. Yes. But not me because I've never seen it. Um, and then we switch back over. Susan is examining Donald, our car accident victim, and he is in a coma. Amy comes in to see him, and Susan's like, you know, it's it's remarkable that you that you found out about this. You know, we we didn't even get a chance to call you. And Amy's like, oh, he he did it a few blocks from my place. He wanted to make sure I'd see. And she says he's attempted it before the last time they broke up. He took a bunch of pills and locked himself in the bathroom at work, and they said it was a cry for help at the time. And so she said, yeah, this isn't the first time he's done this. Like he's just, he's just, like, this is normal for him. He, you know, he pulls everybody into the center of his universe, and he's, you know, everybody has to take care of him. It's all about him. Hmm. At this point, I'm beginning to think that the name of the episode should have just been Yikes. Yep. Uh, so Amy here is, uh, she's our other, oh, hey, it's that guy, um, at least for me. Amy is played by an actress named Catherine Lloyd Burns, um, and her the, the thing that I recognized her for more than anything was uh, Malcolm in the Middle. She plays Malcolm's teacher in the Gifted program. Oh, okay. Uh, 
Okay. Yep. I was like, you. I saw your note that said Malcolm in the middle, and I was like, wait, who's she? Okay, now I totally remember. Yeah, her hair is quite a bit different by the time she's on Malcolm, but um, that's definitely her. Cool. Then afterwards, we have uh, Mr. Davis talking with Carter about his son while Benton is uh, irrigating and stitching up his wound, and it's finally happening. Everyone, okay, okay, it's actually happening. (laughs) We're actually, the secret's going to be out that Carter is loaded. What? Yes. Dun, dun, dun. And they're talking about all of Mr. Davis and Carter are talking all about different uh, stuff at John's private school that he went to and talking about a horse riding competition that Mr. Davis fondly remembers Carter being in. Uh, We're talking about his, it's called a dressage performance. I have no idea. I'm poor. I don't know what that means. This is is where we should have tagged in Nurse Jen because this is 100% her, her domain, like dressage uh, stuff is... But has she ever done one on an Icelandic pony named Marigold like Carter has? It's entirely possible. I would not put it past her. <laughs> We're going to have more silliness abound for this a little later. But for now, Benton, Benton is just like listening in on this. And he's just like, you could just see his facial reactions. Just like, what? Yeah, like, I was going to say, he's trying so hard to like remain calm and remain stoic about it. And it which is kind of kind of funny. Like it's it's funny to see Benton in that spot. But yeah, the the again the the interplay between Carter and Benton without not only having to say a word, but in this particular situation, not even ever actually having to make eye contact, and they still play very well off each other. Like Benton is like kind of keep trying to keep his composure after hearing this information, and then Carter keeps glancing over at Benton, trying to see how much of this he's catching on to, and and is like doing this internal calculation of like, oh, I'm fucked, I'm totally fucked. He knows everything. Like, just it's a fun fun interaction that doesn't require any words on either of their parts and i just really enjoy that yeah like how fast is this gonna get out yeah so then we go back and check on the basketball team um and the nun slash coach of the team is in the room with them um running through plays while they're all in gowns getting checked uh, one by one for meningitis and we we remarked that some of these girls look much too old for high school which yes they do, but also I'm glad they do because there's a line a little bit later between Carol and Doug that is uh, super yeah. creepy if they're not in if they're not high school aged or above. And so as old as we can make them look, let's let's do that. Uh, but they have to be administered pregnancy tests before they can be given the preventative uh, drug um, because their teammate did test positive for meningitis. So there's a drug they're going to give them as kind of a um, preventative measure, but it can have serious effects on pregnancy. So they have to take pregnancy tests to make sure that none of them are pregnant ahead of time. And one of the coaches, the older of the two coaches, not Amy Ryan, pulls, I believe, Carol aside and says that she thinks that her and the other none amy ryan can be omitted from the procedure but as for the rest of them definitely test them and for some reason they all grasp and like or gasp rather they all like kind of cover their mouths and gasp and cross themselves when they're told they have to pee in a cup i don't really understand why that is i wasn't aware of any sort of religious objection to peeing it might be because they're scandalized that like any of them could be pregnant maybe i don't know yeah, it's it's weird, and maybe they're college students. No, I hope so. Definitely a high school. They're high I'm school. pretty sure. Yeah, 
I just desperately want them to not be high school age so that it's less creepy when we get to that line later. Fair. Then um, we go over and Amy rushes to Susan and tells her that Donald has opened his eyes. Um, He is awake and responsive. Susan goes in and removes the intubation tube from his throat. And right as she's doing that, Amy bolts out of the room and he weakly calls after Amy, but she's gone. She's run. So what's going to happen with them? Are they going to reunite? We'll find out. But for now, we go over to the the scene that Daniel and Lizzie have been so afraid of. Um, <laughs> Doug is examining the girls and you hear one whispering, oh, he's so cute. And Carol goes, examining these girls must be a dream come true for you. And Doug's like, yep, 15 years too late. Which I can't tell if that's creepy or not. I don't think it is. I think it's, I think it's like, he would have, if he had been like, yep. I think it's creepy on Carol's part. I don't think, I don't, I think Doug is completely innocent. I think, I think for once, Doug is completely innocent here and has no reason to feel bad or feel weird at all. I think it's super weird for Carol to say that at all. I think it's just kind of Carol's way to put up a defense mechanism and have something playful and like, sure, kind of be like, oh, you're just a horn dog. Yeah, but still just, ugh, can we not? Yeah. And then Tag knocks on the door and pulls Carol aside for a second, and he's like, hey, do you have some time? We need to go over our vows. Can we go do lunch? And Carol's like, no, you know, we're all, we've got 15 girls here to test. We've only done seven. Like, I can't get away from this right now. And Tag's like, okay, well, what about dinner tonight? You know, do you have time? And Carol's like, oh, I have dinner with my mom. I'm sorry. Like, today's not going to work. What about this weekend? And Swift's like, we can't this weekend. This weekend's when we're meeting with, uh, what did he say, meeting with the pastor to confirm our vows? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Excuse yeah. me. To confirm our vows. And he's just pissed. He's like, fine, it's just not worth it. Like, I get it. It's not important. And just storms off in a huge hissy fit. Which is a weird side of tag to see. Yeah. But Kinda. I mean, I get it. Like, yeah. it's always about Carol. It's always on her terms. That's true. And I think he but, feels after the interaction earlier, like the the whole thing with Diane. I feel like he feels a little bit of the Doug monster creeping back in, and so when he sees the two of them in a room together, and then she's immediately like dodgy about getting together and getting their stuff. Like I think he just kind of like he overreacts to that a little bit, just because he's feeling insecure about the whole thing. Like he's that he kind of I'm assuming feels like they were past the whole Doug thing and now it's kind of creeping back in a little bit fair enough but then uh after that we get uh Mark and Swift talking in the radiology room about Mark's attitude so let's give that a listen you have a problem with authority doctor not generally when it's enforced arbitrarily and undermines my authority I resent it. Yeah. You feel like I'm encroaching on you? Before you got here, I ran the board, had a free hand in making treatment decisions, and nobody would contradict me in the middle of a trauma. You feel I've stepped on your entitlements, is that it? You treat me like a med student, not someone who's been chief resident for almost a year. You don't act like it. David Morgenstern told me you were the most impressive resident he'd ever seen. And I'm thinking, is this the same guy? You come in late, your attitude's bad. It's like you don't even want to be here. I don't stand in front of the board all day because I want to. I do it because from what I've seen, your head's not in the game. Oof. 
Mm. Mark but, getting a swift reality check, kicking the ass right there, which he needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this is a this is a quintessential example of where both parties are right. You know, like Mark has every right to feel aggrieved and a feel and feel like his authorities being questioned unfairly or or as he put it arbitrarily um but swift is also right that like mark's mark's not on his game lately and in the time that he being swift has been there he hasn't seen mark on his he doesn't know what mark is capable of he only can go off of what uh morgenstern told him and ever since ever since swift has been around mark's been a fucking mess so they're they're both right in this instance because of course Mark had some shit happen. He did right before he this, did. and just a massively traumatic loss of a patient, and you know, have seeing your marriage dissolve before your eyes. No yeah. big deal. And yeah, it's and fine. I mean, at least on the patient side, I mean, however clumsily it may have been, Swift did attempt at least to sort of counsel and coach him through that, and Mark sort of resisted it at every turn. You know, and we can argue all all day about whether or not those methods were effective or you know particularly helpful but it it's not like he's just been left out to twist out in the wind on his own like attempts have been made to try to help him overcome that and he just because of the collapse of his personal life he's sort of resisted it at every possible turn all right that's fair i see your point but anyway so we jump over again uh checking in on uh, Susan with she's now talking directly to Amy um, giving her giving her a, an update on Donald's condition uh, basically they think that he's going to be okay um, that he shouldn't suffer any long-term um, effects uh, she's trying to convince Amy to go in and talk with him that he's been asking about her Amy says that she wants to see him but she doesn't want to get stuck taking care of him she's supposed to be leaving on a plane in three hours so it sounds like this whole thing was predicated on the fact that you know she was finally going to leave him and finally going to get away from him sounds like the whole relationship is very toxic you know that he's kind of a little bit of kind of manipulative and kind of draws her in to or draws whoever he's with into kind of taking care of him and and doing the whole caretaker thing and that just i can see where her fatigue is coming from so um she's afraid that he's going to do it again meaning attempt suicide again she doesn't want to be responsible for his life so just kind of a fucked up situation all the way around and i did note on a technical note um so they do a wide shot and a close-up um of susan or actually sorry it's actually of amy um as amy i think is standing they do a a wide shot and a close-up shot and in the background there's a guy in like a sort of like business casual type clothing. Like he's got like a a button up shirt and a a suit jacket. Um, And he walks past behind over, over their shoulder. Uh, He walks behind in both the uh, wide shot and the close up shot. So unless he doubled, doubled back, then they just reused a shot. Weird. Little pedantic technical note. I love the pedantic technical notes. From there, we go to Doug and he has cleared all the girls to get their preventative drugs for the meningitis. None of them are pregnant. So, yay, they can all be meningitis-free. That's great. Um, We go over to Susan, who is calling Chloe to just check in and see how the appointment went. There's no answer. So then Mark and Susan are talking, and Mark says that Swift thinks he needs an attitude adjustment. And I was just wondering, what happened to that phrase? You don't really hear it anymore. Like, 
The last time I remember hearing it was the Princess Diary movie. When Lily's like, oh, my parents think I need an attitude adjustment. And that was in, like, early 2000s. I don't know. that. I mean, in what context would you really hear that on a regular basis, though? I mean... Like, but not even in, like, pop culture. You don't even hear it on TV anymore when people are mm. talking about, like, going to therapy. Yeah, I guess. Because it used to be, like, a big thing to be, like, you know, if a whiny teenager needs to go to therapy for an attitude adjustment. Which is what Mark is being, is a whiny teenager. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm trying really hard. I don't know if it, 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 it probably can, you can probably tell from just what I've said so far this episode I'm trying really hard to be on Mark's side with this, but it's, he's, no. just, he's just making it so hard. Think of yeah. how much we shit on Doug earlier in this season. We get to shit on Mark now. Yeah, Mark, Mark's by no means perfect, and I mean, he does get his turns in the hot seat from time to time in terms of his behavior, and this is probably the first example of it, but it's certainly not the last. Like, we will definitely see other examples of this later on down the road where he can he can get a little bullheaded about certain things, and he's human. And then, you know, he occasionally just kills a guy. It's fine. It's, yeah, you know, we all have our days, I guess. But that's coming. That's coming in season six. So we'll we'll get there when we get there. But for now, we have Jerry. We cut back over to Jerry uh, letting Benton know that loan services are still calling because they want their money. Uh, And then they all get all of them, all the good ER folks discussing their student loan situation. Susan, we find out Susan owes eighty-five thousand. Mark owes a hundred and ten thousand. And uh, do we get Benton's no. number on it? Okay, but Benton just casually says to Carter, "Must be nice not to have to worry about uh, loans, huh, Carter?" <laughs> and Carter just immediately looks embarrassed and runs away <laughs> to to check some films. Carter Carter looks like he just shit his pants. Like yep. <laughs> he looks immediately Only. terrified. Only a lot. Scurries away. So then they spend the rest of the time speculating how loaded he might be, and we will actually get the answer to that a little bit later on. Yeah, and um, it's worth noting that I just completely lost track of my train of thought. Oh, um, I'm wishing we had gone through and actually done the inflation rates to see how much they would owe in today's money, which Lizzie is looking up right now. So <laughs> I'm, let's I'm take doing a the same here. thing. A hundred and eighty-eight thousand dollars for for Mark. Mark's a one hundred and ten thousand adjusted for inflation is yikes. One, yeah, hundred and eighty-eight thousand eight hundred twenty-five dollars and twenty-five cents to be exact. Exactly. So, holy shit! Yikes! <sighs> right? Like, just let's just rename the episode. Yikes! So then. Carol and Lydia are having a little girl chat, nurse chat time. Um, Carol's just like, oh, I'm so exhausted. I've only slept like four hours the past few nights. I just, the wedding stuff is crazy. And Carol asks Lydia, she's like, you know, when you did, when you got married, was everything okay? Did you have any doubts? And Lydia says, no, Earl, I didn't have any doubts about Earl. He was a, he was a great guy for four years until he ran out. I never suspected he'd leave. (laughs) <laughs> but Tag would never do that. He's a good guy. Hmm. 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 Oh. Sounds fake, but okay. <laughs> hmm. So, I feel like that's planting a seed for a few episodes from now, but since I can't remember exactly how Carol's story ends, I'm not sure. Well, Carol's story with Tag. Yeah. Yes. We still have Carol for many more seasons. Yes, Carol's story with Tag. But then we flip over and Carol comes around the corner and... 
the younger nun, the younger coach, holds out her medicine that she was given, and she said she's afraid to take the the medicine because she might be pregnant, and she asks if she can take a pregnancy test. So, gasp, she has not been celibate in her vows towards God. <gasps> it, could, um, it could be immaculate. It's happened before, it could, allegedly. Yeah, yes, okay. But she suspects she's pregnant, so that's a whole other thing. Um, and then... Out of nowhere, a man bursts in carrying a screaming child with a hanger stuck in his face because the son was playing with a hanger and the dad told him not to. So we don't know how the hell it got (laughs) caught in there, but we'll come back to hanger child later. Oh, I wish we wouldn't. Yikes. Uh, Also, well, not quite the not quite the yikes part yet, but we have uh, Doug coaching Jake's game now. And for a while here, it's just it's just really wholesome. And it's just really Doug doing his best to be encouraging father figure type and trying to be the loudest voice while he's while Jake is up uh, trying to hit. So because Jake is in a, a bit of a slump, hasn't really had a hit in quite a while. I don't think he's had a hit at all. I think they I think his mom says he's hitting triple zero. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if that was like the entire season so far or if that was just for a certain time. I don't know. I feel your pain. He's in Jake. a slump. He's in a slump, is what we're saying. So, and I've been there myself. So, Clooney with the like quintessential '90s cool dad outfit too, like with the cotton shorts and the like, the socks that come just a little bit too high up the leg, with the New Balances and the like trucker soft front trucker hat, baseball hat. Like this is very much like this is like Jim Belushi the uniform. I'm closing my eyes and I can picture my dad wearing almost that exact outfit minus the hat. Yeah. Yeah, same. Yeah. It's very Whenever standard my dad issue. would be at my baseball games growing up. <laughs> yeah. But also a little side note, Jake, uh, well, not really a little side note, but uh, Jake does end up hitting the ball, but it's immediately caught. Right. And Doug does the weird sports butt slap thing to a child, which is kind of weird. To his girlfriend's child. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know. It's... Like, in Woke 2020, not nearly okay to do that to an 11-year-old. Well, in Woke in woke 2020, uh, Doug would not be allowed anywhere near the field as a coach because he is not that child's parent or legal guardian. And, you do, like, that's not a thing anymore. Like, you don't get to just be the coach. Like... No, no, no. You have to be a parent of one of the children in order to have anything to do with the team. So, yeah, Doug would be nowhere near this team in 2020. Several things wrong with that, yeah. But then we flip back over to Hanger Child, and (laughs) Swift and Mark are working just as quickly as possible as they can to get this shit figured out. The Hanger, it looks like it's lodged in the roof of the kid's mouth. So upsetting. It, but so they clip yeah no they, i think it's like part of the neck because like they have they're having like trouble but his mouth is open yeah no so it's I it's through it's the roof like, of his mouth it's through the roof of his uh, mouth okay. and, it, so he and said, it's like affecting i think it might be because cur- it's the curved part so i think it might be curving around into the neck yeah. okay because it's like going up and back it's, yeah they're never like super super clear on it but yeah so they clip the they clip the rest of the hanger off so it's only the hook in the kid's mouth and they're oh, working my. around trying to see and get visibility and everything. And Swift just goes, God, I hate the neck. Because um, <laughs> they're just trying to see the damage. But there's so much important shit in there that they don't want to get wrong. 
So they're working really well together here and deferring to each other and stuff. And it's just, it's good to see. We see a little bit more of it in a few, but it's just worth noting. So then we jump over and check in with Carol, who is uh, letting uh, Sister Amy Ryan know that the test was negative. She's not pregnant. Um, But then she confides that part of me was hoping that I was and that she confides that she's been having some doubts and some conflict. There's a guy obviously. And she says for two and a half years, I've been preparing to devote my life to God and I don't know which path he wants me to take. And he wants the, the guy that she's been seeing that she was concerned she was pregnant uh, with his child. She says that, you know, he wants to marry her, but she's not sure, you know, which path she should take. So she's just very, very conflicted about the whole thing. And it's a, it's a very sweet scene between Carol and... It is, it and is. It, and it's a nice sort of, like, parallel-ish thing to kind of the internal conflict that Carol is dealing with. You know, she's able to sort of empathize a little bit with what she's going through because even though it's kind of unspoken to this point, like I said, we've sort of let the Doug factor kind of creep back into things a little bit here and it's pretty obvious that carol has some some doubts about this whole thing whether that's translated purely into doug or not she's just sort of she's definitely conflicted about the idea of being married in general right and i love that um sister amy ryan says you know if if i had been pregnant the choice would have been made right then we go back to the hanger trauma and we notice that Wendy is doing all the translating and speaking fluent Spanish to the child's father, and I don't think we've ever seen her speak Spanish before. Nope. No, no, I not, don't think so. Not to my recollection. So yeah. this is a character development for yeah. Wendy. Yeah, but I think um, I think here it really just shows a lot of um, relationship growth between Swift and Green. They've had their talk. They have their understanding now about what the problem is. And they're just, they're really just pushing to get this kid taken care of in the middle of a crisis. And they manage to stabilize him and get him up to the OR so they can actually safely remove the hook up there with the tools that they need. Yeah, they work really well together here. It's it's nice to see such a, a quick progression of that. Yeah. And after that, we have Carter is working diligently on his self-evaluation, sort of, for his, for the ER internship. And he was working on it. Susan's in there and just giving him a hard time about it and asked him to asked him to read it. And he's all he's all embarrassed about it, of course, like you would be. And it just says things like that. He's studious. He's has great time management. Punctual. Punctual. Yeah, he's punctual. Yes. Thank you. And just other very lottie freaking da type of type of stuff. Um like a rich boy would use to describe himself. Hmm. <laughs> and Susan just Susan just goes, this just sounds like a recommendation for a train conductor. <laughs> Which, yeah, but Carter just sort of tosses the thing out and it's like, let's start fresh. Okay. Carter, Carter also makes the same sort of like physical, he has the same sort of physical reaction when she starts to read the letter out loud that I do anytime I'm forced to actually listen to myself on a podcast. Like he does the like cover his eyes and then like put his head down on the table and like anytime you're forced to hear your own voice played back to you or your own words repeated back to you, I feel like we we can all relate to Carter in that exact moment. Yeah, I, I obviously I'm able to edit these podcast episodes that we record each week but it's but never it's, fun it's my, 
it's my least favorite part is when I'm doing the talking. But anyway, um, now we have another little quick cut over to the to the admit desk. Uh, Malik has found Carter's net worth in a magazine that lists the 50 richest people, the 50 richest people or families or something like that. The fattest cats in Chicago, as Malik puts it. Exactly. And Carter's family, the Carter family is at number 27 with a net worth of $178 million. Cool. Which adjusted up for inflation now is approximately $308 million. Or actually approximately $309 million if we're just going to round up. Um, so yeah, Carter is fucking loaded. So a couple of things on this. Um, number one, eat the rich. Uh, number two... <laughs> We actually have a little bit of a retcon here, or we will have a retcon later. Um, Malik mentions when he flips open the uh, magazine that he confirms, I think, with Jerry, who's there, that Carter's dad's name is Roland. Uh, so that's where they get this number from. They're, Roland Carter is listed in there as being worth $178 million. Um, so later on in the series, pretty much any other time that Carter's dad is referred to throughout the series or seen, um, his dad's name is John Truman Carter II, with Dr. Carter here being John Truman Carter III. Um, so this is the one and only time that he's referred to or name-checked as Roland Carter. That That's never never addressed ever again um the other thing here is that as we would find out later in the show and certainly there's bound to be some inheritance and bound to be some trickle down a little bit here and there but it's established much later in the series that grandma is the one with all the the cash and carter's dad is pretty much just a hanger on you know inheritance case trust fund baby like he's not He's not the money maker. Like grandma is the one with all the cash and Carter's dad is just sort of there. So a couple of little like continuity notes here that don't really stick around for the long haul, but this definitely does establish the um the Carter family being loaded trope that will follow us throughout the rest of the show. And it's just it's just worth it to watch them all geek out over it. Um and I'm I'm curious how it will come into play in the future. Hmm. hmm. Um, and while they're all at the nurse's station, Jeannie stops by to talk to Peter, and she just asks, like, hey, for my physician's assistant studies, I have to write a paper about post-surgical patients and a certain type of infection, and, you know, I was wondering if you could throw some patients my way, maybe help me out. And he's like, huh, yeah, I guess I could do that. Like, they both have such a crush on each other. Oh my god. Just fuck already. And fuck they will. So uh, so we go back and we check in with Doug. And uh, he's still doing the coaching thing, still giving it the, uh, the old 90s dad try. Um, and Jake finally hits the shit out of the ball. Um, he tattoos it over the left fielder's head. Um, he's going to round the bases. He kind of stops for a second to admire it. And Doug's like run dumbass like go and so he finally starts running but he misses the bag at first and the little kid who's playing first base for the other team notices right away uh so there's no no disputing it really um but jake rounds the bases he slides into home and saves the day wins the game the whole deal and then the little kid comes running up to 
the umpire and is like, he didn't touch first. And the umpire decides to defer to Doug, I guess, because, okay, yes, it's Little League and they can't afford to have an umpire at every base. So they do sort of rely on the honesty of the parents to make decisions or or back them up on rulings and stuff. So he asked Doug if he touched the base and Doug is like, pauses for a second and he's like, yeah, 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 he touched the base. Let's go. Like, and they all celebrate and run off. And, you know, Jake is very solemn, introvert child about it. Like, he's very like, I didn't touch the base. Like, I'm sorry. I don't know a kid Jake's age on the planet who, given the same circumstances, would have given even half of a shit about not touching the base. Like, he would not have cared in the slightest. Um, But he goes and they have this very, like, earnest back-to-school special moment with Jake about how he shouldn't have lied and that lying's bad and... Uh, he's like, maybe I'm not very good at this father stuff and I'm sorry I let you down. And it's just very saccharine and very like, it's very full house. And I don't know. It's just (laughs) kind of a weird, weird way to wrap up this whole thing. But they're like, let's not tell your mom. Yeah. And then they like go off for ice cream or something or some other equally suburban activity. Frosty chocolate milkshakes. Yeah. We need to stop talking about food this episode, guys. (laughs) It's dinner time. We already ate, and I want bagels, and I want donuts, and it's not fair. (laughs) Well, then let's go over to our next audio clip, then, shall we? We We sure shall. With... (laughs) God damn it. I say these things. (laughs) I want to be sick anymore. We have our next audio clip, which is Benton and Carter discussing ben, uh, Carter's little evaluation and the future of his internships. So let's take a listen. Dr. Benton, my evaluation for the ER sub internship, if it meets with your approval, I need you to sign it. Dr. Ben, what do you want from me? I don't want anything from you, Carter. The question is, what do you want from yourself? I want the surgical sub internship. Why? Because it would help my chances of becoming a surgical resident. And why is that important to you? Because surgery is the most difficult specialty. There's more pressure, you have to know more, do... I don't know. I don't know if I'm capable of becoming a surgeon, and I want to find out. Then why are you applying for an ER sub-internship? See you in the morning. That sound you hear at the end there is Carter defiantly ripping up his application for an ER sub-internship. And then immediately regretting it. Eh. He just looks really confused after he does it. That's true. Yeah, he he got caught up in the moment and didn't really think about whether that was the smartest thing to do or not. Because again, there's still that part of him that's like, ooh, I really do need a backup. Be bold, Carter. Yeah, and then we quick switch over to Jerry walking out. Um, in his full Shakespearean costume to go to rehearsal. And it is so majestic. And I just want him in this outfit all the time. <laughs> Even with the tights? Even with the tights. With the really long shirt and I'm sure very revealing tights were they? Yep. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, so Jerry. Not in that way. <laughs> uh, um, and on a completely different note, we have Carol and Tag talking about their vows some more, so let's listen in on their conversation. Ready? Almost. What's that? 
Ah. Marriage vows. My half, anyway. Thought you didn't want to bother. That's here. Carol. Uh, actually, I left it blank at the top in case I need to change that in the future. Ha. Keep going. <clears throat> Before we were together, I'd been in love many times, or so I thought. But now I know you're the only one I've ever truly loved. The only one I can imagine spending my life with. The one I can't imagine spending my life without. That's as far as I got. It's beautiful. So do you feel the same way? Of course. You don't seem too happy lately. You're up half the night. You're... Tag, I love you and I want to marry you. Okay? Press X to doubt. <laughs> yeah. So about that. Just, oh God. Also, Carol looks so good out of her scrubs. Yeah, Carol's casual wear is nice. Yeah. Very 90s, very practical. But just, uh... I think, I feel like scenes like this are made worse by the fact that we know that their big breakup is come. their big public breakup is coming in only a couple episodes, mm-hmm. so it's just like, oh, sweetie, no. <laughs> no. Uh, who are you trying to convince? Get... Exactly. Yeah, I just... Ugh. It's like a train wreck. You just see it happening. In slow motion, like though. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like you're going, no. no. <laughs> but yeah, you can't look away. Nope. And we won't for at least another five episodes. Four episodes? How many episodes? Two, two episodes. Jesus. Yeah, this oh is, we are yeah. hurtling towards the finish line of season one. I was thinking 20 because that's the one that released today. Ah. I'm dumb. This is um, 23 of 25 for season one. And then Mr. Peter Benton goes to check on Mama Benton. We should mention earlier that when he and Jeannie were so shamelessly hitting on each other, Jeannie mentioned that she might be, or she was going to be stopping by and visiting Mama Benton later that night, and maybe they'd run into each other. So Benton gets there, and Walt is there, chilling in, in like the living room area, and Benton's like, why is, why is Mom's door closed? And... Uh, Walt goes, oh, she's getting a sponge bath. And Walt then says, just with the nurses. They're the only ones in there. And Peter's like, what? And Walt just knowingly goes, she just left. And then Walt starts to make fun of him for his huge crush on Jeannie (laughs) and the way they act around each other and, like, how deep Peter's voice gets and how big puppy dog eye Jeannie gets. And he starts singing some some wonderful Barry White and it's just, it's majestic. And I love when we get to have Walt being fun. I love when we get to have so Walt, period. That too. Exactly, like, yeah. I just looked it up. But We've got so- two appearances of Walt left. No. Why you gotta do this to me? Um, you are the harbinger of bad news, Daniel. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, because like, we always get him either scolding Peter or acting as the middleman. And it's nice to actually have him just to have fun. Yeah, I enjoy their like, sort of almost brotherly relationship where they sort of you know he just needles him and teases him and eventually benton has to like break down the like cold exterior and actually laugh a little bit with him it's nice 
But then we immediately shift over to some unfun stuff, uh, both things involving Susan. First off, we have Susan just coming around the corner in the ER, and what does she see? But she sees Amy being all snuggly and lovey with Donald. <sighs> Damn it. And we just hear we just hear Amy saying, I'm here, baby. I'm not going anywhere. And just, ugh. Sweetie, no. No. But there has to be some heavy-duty gaslighting and going on in the, and that re- and some heavy-duty emotional manipulation and abuse going on in that relationship and I just hate to see it. I have to disagree. Really? Well, yes and no. Because while yes, I do agree that you should not ever be ever feel like you are held hostage or being held responsible for your partner's mental health. I believe it should be of free will. So you're right in the sense that she probably, you know, earlier she sounded such good conviction of, I don't want it to be my responsibility anymore, but I don't think she had had the necessary therapy to work through that absolution of guilt. So in this case, you may be right that it's not necessarily conscious abuse on his part, but there is definitely that emotional manipulation of... I just can't live without you. Like, If we're not together, I'm going to kill myself. You're going to be with me out of obligation and resentment because yeah. otherwise I'm dead and you'll feel responsible. Which is a really fucked up thing to say. Yeah, guys, if you ever are feeling that way with a partner, go to therapy for yourself. Have some chats. Realize that your partner is an adult capable of making their own decision, even in the throes of mental illness. And absolve yourself of that guilt because you are not responsible for your partner's choices. That's all. Amen. Just got to throw that in there because, yeah, I, Lizzie and I both audibly went, no, when we saw her in the room, we were just like, you almost got out. Like, we should, it, it, it feels shitty to say because you feel like in any other attempted suicide episode, we would be rooting for Donald. But just the way they frame this, it's just, it's clear that Amy is going to be the one who suffers from this. And then after that, we have our last little audio clip of the episode, uh, also involving Susan. She goes home, and immediately uh, there's some there's some issues with Chloe and how Chloe's days day went. So let's give that a listen. How was the checkup? Oh, that doctor was so irresponsible. I waited two hours. You didn't stay? Two hours, Susie. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Sue? Sue's. You need to get your own place. What? You can't stay here, Chloe. Not after the baby's born. But Susie, I'm naming her after you. Oh, and for that, I have to support you? Yeah, a few months, maybe. No. You're throwing me out? God! My own sister. Wow. Stop it, Chloe, stop. I'm not going to let you guilt me into taking care of you again. Oh, come on, Susie, you're making good money. Oh, perfect. You're not even here half the time. Damn it, I have spent my whole life bailing you out, and I've had it. You understand? No more, this is it. Where am I supposed to go? You're 34 years old, Chloe. Figure something out. 
Damn. Speaking of caregiver fatigue. No kidding. And emotional manipulation and uh, yeah. yikes and all of the above. Season one, episode 23. Yikes. Hmm. Uh, I mean, props to uh, Susan for actually starting to stick up for herself and realizing just how fucked up this whole situation is. And there's going to come a time, you know, I'm sure she does love and care for Chloe, but sometime, some point, you just got to say, I'm done. Enough is enough. Exactly. I can't. Which is fine. You know, as much as I love this actress... I am going to be so relieved when Chloe's gone again for a while. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up. Like, she's she's so good at it that she does sort of breed this inherent, like, dread. You know, anytime you see her, you know it's not going to be good. So you're just like... Right. Uh. Like, in Gilmore Girls, it's at least mostly campy, and she's pretty self-reliant in her own way. Like, they've got the Ren Fair. You know, she dates losers, but she's still ends up happy but this is just she's just a walking car wreck yeah and never really gets any better like she doesn't she doesn't have much of a growth arc really she's just kind of helpless the whole way through and and the 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 ways and the flavors in which she's helpless sort of change and evolve over time but like she's pretty worthless not not worth i shouldn't say worthless that's not the right word but helpless like she's always pretty helpless the whole way through and it just does it makes you like dread her presence so as even though that seemed like kind of a maybe a semi-natural ending point we still have this weird little tacked on segment here with carter where he is practicing stitches on a pig's foot uh when which you know not the first time we've seen him do that so in and of itself not a weird thing uh, but what is weird is we get this uh, weird-looking girl who we've never seen before, uh, who introduces herself as Melanie Graff from Radiology, uh, who is asking for the x-rays from the cabbie from earlier in the episode, who we haven't talked about in a while and haven't seen, haven't done anything with that storyline in a while. And she gives up the game, says that she saw John Carter in the cabbie's book and wants to ask him out to dinner and he accepts and you know, the, him doing more kind of subtle comedic work where he just kind of keeps saying, uh-huh. And like, does I mean, it's, it's cute enough, I guess, but it just feels very tacked on at the end here. Like it feels like it would have fit much better more towards the middle of the episode rather than as we're wrapping up here. So just tonally, it was kind of strange and seemed a little out of place. But um, Melanie Graff from Radiology is 100% a one-off character. We will, I don't think, ever see her again. But the uh, actress who plays her is uh, an actress by the name of Jennifer Gatti, or Gatti, G-A-T-T-I. She has made appearances on Star Trek Next Generation, um, Young and the Restless, and uh, Vice Principals. Yeah, it was just just a very odd... um callback a to him practicing his sutures on the pig's foot and then just her coming down she kind of reminded me of elizabeth oh uh like liz elizabeth like from the yeah. first yeah a little bit could have been her stand in like, how does this remind you of me no sorry of, <laughs> see and i thought you liz. meant like corday elizabeth and i was like mm, no. no there's too many lizzie's we got too many lizzie's no there's only one lizzie that's true there's only one lizzie and they're uh, right next to me uh excuse me Romano calls Elizabeth Corday Lizzie all the time, and that's actually why I prefer that nickname. Because Romano? Ugh. I just think it's a cute thing. You ruined it. And also, I j- also just, 
there's weird connotations with the name. There's just weird baggage attached to the name Liz for me, so just... Okay. Um, My name is Lizzie. Thank you very much. With an I-E. Exactly. Um, Respect. But yeah, so I definitely thought it was Nympho Liz early, like at first, and I was very confused. And then once I was like, wait, no, doctor. Okay, cool. So go Carter, cute date. Um, And then Mark gets home to Jen, and... He gets he gets home and he's like, oh, I'm gonna go read. And she's like, oh, can't you come to bed? So Mark's finally gonna get some after sleeping the sa- sleeping in the same bed for two weeks with no action. And of course, the minute they start making out and wrestling, Rachel comes in to have Mark fix her tummy ache. And Mark was totally in the southern hemisphere, looking up <laughs> right as right as Rachel comes in. Oh God. And. So they're both just like, no, go back to bed. I'll be in a minute. Like, uh, I'll come fix it in a minute. And she's like, but I want daddy to fix it now. Yeah, it's their own fucking fault. They left the fucking door open like a couple of savages. Like, yeah, with the hall light on and everything. Right? Like, like Rachel's got to be at least, like, six, five or six. Like, come on now. This is, what is this, yeah. amateur hour? So she's like, can I can I come in the bed? They're like, yep, okay. But no talking. So they let her come snuggle up in between them. And as Mark goes to turn off the light, Rachel's like, Daddy, I'm glad you're home. Complete 180 from how we started that episode. And yet Mark's in his boxers both times. Ugh. That was a weird episode. Doesn't he, he, doesn't, he doesn't still have pants on at this point? I think he still had pants on. I don't know. He hadn't, yeah, fa- he hadn't fallen out of his khakis yet. Yeah. Hadn't <laughs> <laughs> had them ripped off in a fit of lust. Ugh. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I think a very solid episode Uh bookended by two really weird scenes like at the beginning and end like tonally and visually and just everything about them is weird at the beginning and the end but in between there sandwiched in between there you've got a really solid episode yeah i I would agree with that statement um it's just one of those episodes where i just really wanted to grab like all of the like if i could just play an audio clip of just play the entire episode for you folks i would but there was so much. I know there's so much good stuff. I was like, should I get that? Should I get this? Should I get that? And then I realized, <laughs> oh, we're already at like eight clips. So and it's maybe like, take it back just a little bit. It's it's like we mentioned off mic too. Like this is a good. This would be a good episode to catch someone up who is coming in late season one. Like if you. If you have not been watching to this point and you want to get into the show, but you don't want to go through the work of watching the first 22 episodes to catch you up, like you're going to miss out on a lot of great character work, like, you know, Love's Labor Lost and uh, Blizzard and things like that. Like you're going to miss out on some really great episodes, but storyline wise, you pretty much could get the flavor of just about everything with the exception of one or two minor details. Like you'll miss out on Tatiana and you'll miss out on div even and even div gets a slight mention in this like you'll you'll, mi- you'll miss out on little storylines here and there but for the most part this will catch you up like this will get you to where you're like okay i know what the story is i know where i'm at with all these characters and we go forward from here so i think that that this episode serves and i'm sure that was probably kind of the point of this episode was to um get people interested who were late to the party on season one who were like oh i haven't and you know in the day's before DVD and streaming, you know, like they weren't necessarily going to rerun these episodes with any sort of regularity. So if we want to get a new audience and 
uh, excited about season two, then we might as well fit an episode into neatly into the last run of season one, where we kind of catch everybody up on all the storylines and be like, okay, here's your characters now go from here. So I think it works well for that purpose. I think that sums it up beautifully. Well, okay then. That should just about wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. Higher tier rewards, once unlocked, will include a special season recap episode, a monthly freeform bonus show that we are calling The Lounge, where we'll talk about what's going on for us in our lives at that moment, you know, different stuff in pop culture, and, uh, different video games we're playing, movies, etc., etc., and also monthly movie commentaries where we watch and talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. Uh, we'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts to show your support. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music, and Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at uh, dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with uh, my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each week and put it through a mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter, spewing out Animal Crossing Village name ideas for feedback at lobob92345. I am also on Twitter. You can find me. I am at Random Gamer. That's G-A-M-3-R. And thank you again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next week for episode number 24, the penultimate episode of season one. And have a great week. 